Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. For the first time since 2007, Bo Pelini is back in the SEC. His career has taken a circuitous path from Baton Rouge to Lincoln, Nebraska, to his hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, and all the way back around to Baton Rouge again, where earlier this week, Pelini signed a three-year contract to take the very same defensive coordinator position in which 13 years ago, when he was still in his 30s, Pelini first made his name as one of the rising stars in the coaching profession. The optimist case for hiring Pelini is that he's won big at LSU before. In his three years running the Tigers' defense, they never ranked lower than fourth in yards per play allowed. A known entity with a household name like Pelini's could help stabilize LSU amid the dramatic player and coach turnover that has haunted the aftermath of their victory in the national championship game. The pessimist case against Pelini is that the SEC and college football in general have changed so much since he was last a defensive coordinator three United States presidents ago. And as Pelini began to experience diminishing returns at Nebraska, his abrasive behavior began alienating boosters and key figures in the Nebraska administration. To help us better understand whether the optimist or the pessimist has a stronger argument, we called up Shay Dixon of Go 24-7 and Brian Christofferson of Husker 24-7 to help us re-examine Pelini's record, so often clouded by Twitter parody accounts, memes of Pelini cuddling with kittens, and still photos of him and his brother Carl screaming at the top of their lungs. We begin our conversation in 2005, when Bo Pelini was hired by Les Miles to be the first LSU defensive coordinator of the post-Nick Saban era, replacing Will Muschamp in that role. There's debate about how much the success of the early Miles era is attributable to what Saban built, but after three years running the Tiger defense, Pelini had plenty of opportunity to make his own mark on the Tigers' defense. So I asked Shay Dixon what Bo Pelini's first tour of Baton Rouge might tell us about his second. Back then, in 05, 06, 07, as you said, uh, they had found great success, and everybody said, well, this is still a lot of Saban's players, and what have you, but um, it was known, look, they were winning 11 games a year, and LSU was one of the premier defenses in America, and in Pelini's time, he had never finished outside of the top three in total defense. He was number three all three years that he was there. They would average or give up, I should say, um, across that three-year span between 12 and 17 points a season or or per game in a season, which uh, is pretty remarkable. So when you looked at just Pelini, he was a lot like Muschamp personality-wise and very fiery, um, used a lot like Orgeron, uh, sort of used his emotions to fuel the players. And I think that was something that um, listening to a lot of his players this week talk about, uh, the former LSU players who played under Polini talked about that being one thing is that he's very much hands-on players, coach as a defensive coordinator, but sort of inspires everybody with, um, you know, his attitude and how much he, he pours into, you know, game planning and the players and development. But 
Uh, I think the one word that all of them used a lot was, uh, and not with his personality, but it could probably be said the same as his defensive philosophy was aggressive. And uh, LSU has sort of wanted to go back to that. Dave Aranda's defenses um, would never have been described as uber aggressive or, or anything of that nature. Now, a very smart defensive coordinator, and they always turned out great defenses. But uh, I think we're going to see more of a shift towards LSU sending more guys, LSU trying to get to the quarterback uh, with more than just a natural pass rush of, of three or four guys or however many down linemen you might have. And, um, you know, that sort of became a gripe for LSU fans. Like, you know, if, if they had to pick something about Aranda, who's one of the best out there, it was that they didn't feel like he always had this sense or, or urge to be aggressive. And, and I think Polini really brings that, which um, I think for LSU fans, you know, they wanted many of them were split between go hire a young guy, make the flashy hire. And others would say, no, a guy like Polini is perfect. You've, you've got a great team. You've got a great roster. Just get somebody who understands the SEC, the LSU culture, and most importantly, can coach a defense uh, and make sure that they have an aggressive attacking mentality. Uh, and I think that Polini really fits that bill in, in sort of a similar fashion. Uh, I guess if you want to look across the SEC to a, maybe a guy like Todd Grantham, who had been uh, at State and, and obviously now uh, Connor down at Florida with, um, with Dan Mullen. If you watched an LSU game in 2005 or 2006, you saw a lot of cutaways to Jimbo Fisher and Bo Pelini, who were seen as two of the biggest up-and-coming head coaching prospects in the sport. With Muschamp, a head coach in waiting at Texas, and Jimbo Fisher landing a similar deal in Tallahassee in 2007, LSU's coordinator positions were starting to look like head coaching factories for blue blood football programs. So after Polini's defense steers LSU to its second national title of the new millennium, Nebraska's decision to target Polini as the man to guide the Huskers out of the post-Tom Osborne wilderness seemed like a slam dunk. Here's Brian Christofferson on the mood around the Huskers program at the time Pelini was hired. Uh, he was, I would say he was incredibly popular when he was hired because some people forget this that aren't around Nebraska, but he had been the defensive coordinator here for Frank Solich in 2003. And back then, Solich was sort of searching for a spark after a 500 season. And uh, Bo's defense kind of gave the jolt that was needed that year. And uh, actually that was the kind of strange year where Solish went nine and three and he got fired. And there was kind of a clamoring from some in Nebraska to promote uh, Bo Pelini from the defensive coordinator position back then and make him the head coach because the defense had done so well. His fiery ways were popular at that point. Uh, because he'd had success and people liked the passion that he had and his defense seemed to feed off of it. So back in 08, when five years after all this, when he gets hired and he just coached LSU and they win a national championship and there's people, there's national pundits saying all these good things about his defense. Uh, it was very exciting. And uh, people, people I think expected a pretty quick turnaround on that side of the ball. And actually, you know, the first few years they got it. Polini's caustic demeanor and propensity for hollering has already come up a couple times in passing. It's hard for it not to. We'll dig into that more in a minute, but for now, given the absence of data on Polini as a defensive coordinator over the past 13 years, I wanted to know how hands-on he was in shaping the Nebraska defense. Oh, I think it was his baby. I mean, he, he definitely took into account um, 
what his defensive coordinators, like his brother was a D coordinator for a while. Carl Polini and John Papuchis was here. Who's now at Florida state, I believe. Um, so he had some coaches that he trusted, but he was very hands-on with that defense and the game planning and everything that went into it. And, you know, the first couple seasons, it didn't hurt that, you, oh, yeah, you have Dominican Sue, one of the best, you know, college defenders we've seen in the last 50 years uh, playing, uh, you know, on your defensive line and just owning games. And so that was a nice starting point when they came in. And, and you got to remember, at, when he became the Husker head coach, Nebraska was still in the Big 12. And the Big 12 uh, had a lot of spread out offenses. And Bo Pelini really figured out a defensive scheme uh, that matched so what he was seeing very well. Uh, they, they, they shut down a lot of those spread attacks. And they would play with five defensive backs and six defensive backs. They had what they called a peso defense, which was basically a, a variation of the nickel. Uh, where they would get a lot of hybrid type guys on the field on the back end and uh, they would make plays and uh, they were a top 10 defense those first, you know, in 2009 and I think 2010, they're right around the top 10. Um, so the first few years, he sort of had the right talent and uh, some good defensive linemen that helped the cause. And he had some pro level corners too, that, that, that helped. And then, you know, people always ask, well, what, why did it tail off? And I would say, I think the talent sort of tailed off a little bit on the defensive side of the ball for Nebraska near the end of his time here. That's interesting. So how would you characterize the failures in recruiting? Were they not identifying the right players? Were they not being good salesmen or were they not developing the talented players that they did have in the program? Yeah, there, there's two things I'd point to. And, and let's be clear, his defense is after 2010. He was at Nebraska f- to up till 2014. And they were okay. They didn't just like fall off a ledge, but they went from being like top 10 in 2009 and 2010 to kind of around 35th to 40th for the next few years. So they're kind of a little bit higher, higher middle, I guess you would say. I think one of the issues was you have a transcendent player like Sue. Uh, who's placing in the Heisman ballot, you know, voting as a defensive tackle. And yet Nebraska really came up empty in a couple of recruiting classes at defensive line uh, right around that time. So it's kind of mind boggling because you think, okay, you've got this guy where you can really sell him to recruits and you're going to, you know, get some more. Nobody's going to be just like him, but you'll get some all conference type dudes in here. And, that kind of fell off. They just didn't find those type of resources to work with up front. And so I think that was part of it. And then combine that with the fact that in 2011, Nebraska shifts to the big 10 conference. And there was obvious, there was some spread offenses in the big 10 at that time. And I mean, you had urban Meyer in the league and at, at Ohio state uh, in 2012, I think is when he started there. Um, but there is also teams like Wisconsin and Iowa and these, you know, clubs that are just going to kind of pound and ground you. And it was an adjustment for a, a Nebraska defensive scheme that had been kind of built to stop these wide open offenses in the big 12. So combine that change in conference and the, the change of scenery there with probably not recruiting or getting the success ratio you needed with D linemen right after the Sioux era. 
And I think those were two of the biggest culprits in Nebraska kind of fading down a little bit on that side of the ball. Brian's note on the recruiting issues at Nebraska is interesting because when you're in the SEC, merely recruiting top 10 nationally isn't enough. Top 10 in the country instead of top three or top five could be the difference between losing to Alabama and Auburn and getting fired or beating those teams, going undefeated and winning a national championship. Recruiting is a group effort from the entire organization and weak links can really sneak up on you and end up having a negative impact. So how does Bo Pelini fit in? I'm curious, maybe most of, of what kind of recruiter he is, right? Because as a head coach for so long, you're recruiting so much different than when you're an assistant. And being at LSU, they recruited a very high level. Um, and then when he was here previously, he wasn't really known that much of a, as a recruiter, and nor was Dave Aranda. So uh, I think people are sort of interested to see how the younger generation um, sort of likes Pelini and what they think of him. So that'll be something that we won't have an answer to for maybe a year, you know, of going through a full cycle and what a defensive recruits think of LSU. But uh, I do know that sort of in this transition period, a lot of people wondered, um, okay, if it is Pelini and now that it is, uh, what does he do for you from a recruiting standpoint? Something Ed Orgeron values arguably as much as any head coach in college football. Um, I don't think we have an answer to it. And, and I think that's something to monitor over the next year as we also monitor sort of his transition and adjustment back into life as a defensive coordinator at a, at a really high level like the SEC. And I think a lot of it goes back to putting yourself in the shoes of Ed Orgeron and he's a defensive head coach, which means, you know, when it comes to recruiting defense, he sort of has his hand in everything, most notably D-line for sure. Obviously he's a D-line coach by trade, but he was always very involved with all of it. And I think, he senses that, um, and, and I think maybe, you know, you'll have some, you wouldn't call it stubbornness, but, um, you know, a little distouch from reality of Orgeron thinks he can do it all. Look, it, it doesn't matter, Aranda or, or Pelini, if you're going to be one of our main recruiters on defense, or if you don't even care about it at all, I can make up that gap. When they come to campus, I can handle that. And um, often he's proven to be right, and, and maybe at times, Uh, proven to be wrong but I think that that's sort of how he believes in it because he cares and is so passionate about recruiting that uh, I think he just wants someone running the defense where he can say first and foremost and maybe 90 something percent of your job make sure our defense is good to go be watching film have our players who are on campus ready and I'll figure out the rest in between um, you know him and the D-line coach and the two defensive back coaches and analysts and on-campus recruiters that they can handle the rest. So uh, I almost sense that Orgeron knows that about Bo Pelini and doesn't hold him, hold it against him because he values so much what he brings to the table just as a defensive-minded football coach. To this point, we've been ignoring the elephant in the room. All of the stuff Bo Pelini does off the field that distracts from what his defenses do on it. We'll dive into that part of the story after the break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Before the break, we talked about what makes a Bo Pelini defense and the role he might play at LSU as a recruiter. But both of those elements are a function of his personality and how he relates to players. Going back to his days at LSU, Pelini was infamous for his sideline blowups. That carried on to his time at Nebraska, where Pelini was even taped criticizing fans, and after he was fired in 2014, audio leaked of Pelini at a meeting with his former players in which he used a lot of bleep-worthy language to describe then-Nebraska AD Sean Eichhorst, who had just fired him. The guy, yeah, you guys saw him yesterday, the guy's a, a total <laughs> I mean, he is. In public statements announcing Pelini's firing, Nebraska insisted that Pelini had been a great representative of the program and that they wished him all the best in his future endeavors. But then once that tape leaked, they changed their tone and basically said, see guys, this is the nonsense we've been having to deal with all along. Over time, it feels like the causality has gotten a little bit muddled. So I asked Brian Christofferson whether Pelini's personality was really part of the reason he was fired or if that was just a post-facto rationalization for firing a head coach who, in retrospect, was pretty darn successful. Oh, it played a part in it. I mean, with some of the brass, it was a very big deal, like it going up the the line to make the chancellor at the time, I think it was a problem with. And uh, the athletic director who plays Tom Osborne, Sean Eichhorst, I don't think uh, Bo's personality really sat well with him. It was it was very mixed reaction to it locally. I mean, there were some people who loved it and and were would go to bat for Bo until the very end, and still do. And then there was you know that faction of the fan base where when when it would happen more after losses, of course, when when you're winning, no one really cares how what the coach is doing. It feels like sometimes on the sideline, but you know if you lose a tough game or you you get beat in a a big setting and the coach is. Uh, uh, the camera's always kind of panning to him and he's, you know, showing a display on the sideline. Uh, that's when the topic would always rear its head around here about, oh, I don't know if I want that representing Nebraska and this and that. I honestly think by the end, he, he coached at Nebraska seven years. And as you said, there was consistency, but it was sort of a, it was a nine and four, 10 and four line. They were always on kind of finishing between 21st and 25th and right now Nebraska would kill to be in their ranking so I think there were some people who maybe didn't appreciate how difficult it was um, to, to put up those marks but Nebraska's always been a place that has strived for championships and they had some near misses that I think really impacted you know kind of caused a chain reaction with how it went but at the end, I felt like it was one of those marriages where both parties were ready to call it quits, to be honest with you. I, I feel like Bo Pelini was about at the point where he was probably ready for something new and Nebraska probably needed a fresh face, too. 
It would probably not be accurate to say Pelini has softened his demeanor during his five years at Youngstown State. Pelini and the White Hat are going at it. He, he, he's been in his ear all game long. He's stomping out on the field. Color from down here on the sideline. I know you guys can see both who is just giving it to the White Hat. One of the sideline judges just went and talked to the officers to make sure that they've got an escort out of here as fans along the sideline from the stands in the end zone are really starting to give it to them. So this would be a good time to sell your stock in any narratives about how the humbling experience of being fired by Nebraska mellowed him out. But what if you got all the good things about Bo Pelini, the passion, the X's and O's and play calling chops, and didn't let him talk to the media? What if his sideline antics stayed on the sideline and didn't happen in front of microphones? As is the case with many coaches with reputations for sideline histrionics, it plays a lot better with the players than it does with the media. Absolutely. I think you, you said that well. I think to the kids who are playing for them to inside the football operations building to what it's like on uh, a game day or even a practice in the middle of the spring. Um, he's got that, you know, intensity and, and sort of uh, aggressive passion um, that I think a lot of these kids really sort of gravitate to in a way because they kind of feel like he is fully invested and, and really wants to, um, you know, wants the success as much as they do. Um, but I think the one good thing about LSU and, and all colleges are different, but at LSU, they don't. And this is was through the Miles era and into Orgeron. It's just how they operate. Uh, we don't get the offensive or, or any coach, so let alone the offensive or defensive coordinator during the season or each week or in the offseason ever. We get them at media day once a year. And beyond that, they don't have any media responsibilities. So I think for a guy like Polini, and I agree with you, look, when I talk to Nebraska people, um, they say, look, you didn't have the best relationship with the media. Well, you know, when you're a head coach at Nebraska or LSU, you're meeting with the media on Monday and again on Thursday or, you know, right before the game. And then again on Saturday after the game and you've got your weekly radio show where you're taking calls and you sort of have this dialogue and, and um, line of communication where there's no buffer between you and, and the media and with the fans see and at LSU, I mean, look, Polini, he won't go to SEC media days or anything. The only time we'll hear from him uh, will be on media day this spring, and we'll never hear from him again, not until they make a bowl game uh, and you go to that bowl site and coordinators are made available to the media. So I think the sort of the knock that came, or one knock, I should say, that came with people at, when he was a head coach was, well, he doesn't have the best relationship with the media. At LSU, the answer to that is who cares? He'll meet with him once a year, and I don't think he's going to do anything in that one setting that's really going to upset anybody. Um, so for them, it's sort of a moot point. With Pelini spending so much time at Youngstown State and now taking a job at LSU where he can call plays but stay more or less out of the limelight, is that a signal of what his career ambitions are at this point? Thirteen years ago, when Pelini held this very same position, he was seen as this inevitable rising star. But it would be really great for LSU at a time when the school is encountering so much turnover in its coaching staff if Pelini didn't view this job as a stepping stone, but rather an opportunity to become the Bud Foster of the Bayou. Uh, I get the sense that Orgeron saw someone and understanding what you were speaking on with coaching turnover. And certainly we've seen a bunch of analysts leave. We saw um, defensive coordinator Dave Aranda get a head coaching job. Joe Brady, obviously, uh, an on-field coach as a pass game coordinator, getting an OC job in the NFL. 
I think with Orgeron, the chance to sort of grab this season and the 15-0 and result that it was and try to hold everything in place for as long as you can, um, in his mind, comes with a guy hiring a guy like Pelini may mean he'll stay, that he's really not sniffing out that next opportunity. And, and I think it was almost tough for them to even pull him out of Youngstown State. His daughter's finishing up high school. Um, as you said, that's where he's from. It's where his whole family's from. His brother was his defensive coordinator. Um, so there was a sense at Youngstown that, you know, look, I want to coach football, but I want to be around family. And that was an answer to both of them. Uh, I think now with LSU, having been here before, and, and he really enjoyed it, and he spoke highly of being a, in Baton Rouge and of working at LSU and the culture down here at all of his stops, I think for him, at least in the short term, how I view it would be that he sees this as a chance to just say, hey, look, this could be somewhere where I go and I just stay, and I maybe I'm not chasing that next head coaching job again, uh, and there really isn't a bigger and I'm not saying LSU is the cream of the crop, but you know they're one of 10 schools where if you're the D.C. at LSU, you're not really going to be the D.C. at Bama or OU. Or that's a somewhat lateral move. So unless he does have this desire to be a head coach at a really big school again, um, then I think he's kind of sees this as just a chance to, A, make some more money. Uh, let's be real. The Nebraska had been paying him a buyout, and that ended. And Youngstown's head coaching job, I think, paid two, three 300000 dollars He's making $1.3 million now a year being the D.C. at LSU. And uh, I think you have to factor that in as well. Not many places are going to pay you more than that to be a coordinator and certainly not at the NFL level. So unless he's going for another head coaching job, then I think this is one he sees as I'll come down there and be the D.C. or Ron, I'll be there as long as you are. And given that you obviously just signed an extension, but that you've got some uh, safety net now to you by going 15 and 0 and winning a national championship that uh, I'm not going to come down there. And then all of us are getting fired in a year. So uh, I think he finally saw this as a move he could make to go back to coaching at a big time program, running a defense and not really having to worry about what that next step was. In the end, we're left with the happily ever after version of this second marriage, or maybe the version where a team turning over so much of its roster while still having the expectations of the incumbent national champion, scapegoats the abrasive defensive coordinator. Which one will we get? Well, that's why we watch the games. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And a review, too. Not enough of you are leaving reviews. It's important. For Trey Scott and our producer, Tani Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily, where we'll be getting you ready for the start of the February signing period, which begins on Wednesday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 